The following podcast is brought to you by the Bridge Bible Church in Somerset, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit our website at thebridgewired.com. have uh, some flowers from the wild violet for our mothers that are here, and if you're off to visit your mother after the service, feel free to take a, a flower as well. They are on the table in the welcome area on your way out. Uh, that's just a gift to say Happy Mother's Day and, and that we love you guys and we're praying for you. And um, yeah, it's kind of, today has a lot of celebration, but it also has a heaviness to it. If you've been watching what's going on in our culture and in the news and, and everything. There's a lot of protests and a lot of people that are worked up, and, and uh, it, it saddens my heart. It saddens my heart because we, followers of Christ, know that God created man in the image of God and that life is sacred and it's valuable, it's precious, And we know we live in a fallen world. And we know that circumstances of this fallen world are never perfect. And fallen people make choices sometimes that are not what God would have. And we we walk with them. We walk through life with them. They're our neighbors. They're They're our sisters. They're our mothers. They're grandmothers, there are co-workers, there's, the life is not always black and white and easy, is it? But every life that God gives is precious and valuable. And today, across our country, people are protesting, and they're angry, and they're upset, and they're saying, it's my choice, it's my choice. We can say it is our choice over and over and over again. But at the end of the day, those lives are lost. And we have taken them. So my prayer this morning is that we as the church would respond in love and kindness. That we would respond with empathy, with, with the, the grace of Jesus. That we would speak the truth in love and sometimes where we can cross those lines and love people well where they are. I'm not saying compromise our convictions and I'm not saying that we're being complicit in these things. I'm saying that we're, that we're coming alongside that we're loving, that we're saying, I, I, I'm with you in your deepest pain, in the hardest parts of your choices. I'm here. I still love you, just as Christ still loves you and would welcome you. The church has a real opportunity today, and we're going to pray together in just a moment. We have a real opportunity as those of Christ to show the love of God to a hurting and broken world not to politicize and not to draw lines and not to shake fists back at those who are shaking fists at us, but, but to turn the other cheek, take the offense and love them well. Because in the end, they are blind. They are deceived. They are in darkness. Just as we were blind and deceived and in darkness, and yet Christ shone his glorious, marvelous light on us and pulled us from darkness into light. It's only a work of God that changes hearts. And he uses the church, his bride, his people, to bring that truth to those who are hurting and in darkness. And so, while we celebrate mothers today, we also mourn and grieve, because this is not an easy day for some. 
And so we want to be aware of all of this. And we look at it and we say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Make things right again. And so, if you would, pray with me. And then we'll get to our our message today, which comes out of Matthew chapter 24. Father, we, we are broken hearted today because we see what sin has done to this world. We see how it has caused deep brokenness, how it comes sometimes masked with anger and, and fighting and bitterness, sorrow and grieving and mourning. Lord, the enemy is he's, he's doing what he does. He is the father of lies and deception. He has blinded the world, blinded the culture, and they follow him like a Pied Piper. But Father, we are not like that. We are your people, the church, who have been bought by the blood of Christ and by grace we have been saved. And we who have been pulled out of brokenness and, and heartache and sorrow can now comfort those with the comfort we have received. So I pray, God, for the church this morning, your bride, your beautiful bride, to go forward with compassion and grace and mercy, preaching the good news. The good news that Christ can heal, Christ can restore, Christ can save. That while people are in the midst of some of the darkest and hardest points of their life, they're not alone. They can always turn. Christ will shine on them. He will be near. May we be near. May we be the hands and feet of Jesus for those who are struggling. May we be a soothing balm to our nation. May we bring, may we bring just a peace as we bring Christ Lord, everything is so worked up, it feels like, and it just needs to be settled. And we ask that the power of the Holy Spirit through your people would come and bring that settling effect. And Lord, that love would reign supreme, true love. Love that is finding its foundation and place in Christ. Not the Christ of culture, but the Christ of the Scriptures. The one who came for us while we were sinners, died for us, gave his life for us. So may we go forward and share this beautiful, loving message with those who feel that God doesn't care, doesn't see, isn't real. May we just come alongside and do life with them and show them God is real. God does care. He does see. And he will come and be all that they need if they would just come and turn to him. For you are all that we need. We sing, your goodness is coming after. It's coming after me. Lord, your goodness is coming after mankind if he would just turn and receive it. So may we be the bearers of that today. May we take that message to a culture that needs it today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 24 is where we are. We're doing a kind of a prelude to, or prelude, how do you say that word? I always say it two different ways. Is it prelude or prelude? 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 I have to look at my, grammar, my grammarian over there, Bethany. She's good at spelling and stuff, you know. <laughs> so we're doing a prelude to Revelation. And uh, so this is the, the third uh, of, of the little mini-series to get us ready, and we've talked a lot about different things out of the scriptures as far as the timing of Jesus' return, what the end days will look like, uh, and, and uh, rapture, and tribulation, and antichrist, and, and the reason we're doing that is because when we get into Revelation, I, I want us to have 
a foundation to work from, have some thoughts and have some ideas already in our head. Because when we get to Revelation, some of it's going to be just shrouded with imagery and, and, and there's going to be lots of different things that we're going to see in this from John, and it's going to be like, what does that mean, or what does that look like? And so we're using Scripture, we're using the prophetic Scriptures that God spoke through Daniel, we're using the Scriptures that Jesus has given to us, and we're looking at the Scriptures that John has, and we're putting them together to get a fuller picture. And and so today we're looking at Matthew 24, we'll be in verses 15 through 39, I'm not going to read the whole section, I'll just read sections as I go through, but I want to start with just verse 27. And it says this, For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Amen? We are looking for his marvelous return. Israel is looking for the return of their Messiah. And so as we look at these scriptures out of Matthew today, um, I'm going to just show you as I understand it. I come from, okay, just setting it out there once again. I look at it as a premillennial, pre-tribulational literal historical view, so I'm looking for these things to be fulfilled, to come, to still happen. The the tribulation is still to come. Jesus' return is coming. And so I'm looking at these things uh, from this perspective. There are some other perspectives, and you may look at some of these scriptures a little differently, especially Matthew 24. You may look at Matthew 24 a little bit differently. That's okay. Shoot me emails. We'll go back and forth. I've already had some emails, which is awesome. It's been really sharpening, and I've been going back and forth. I hope you're wrestling with these things. The end of it all is this. No matter what view you hold, Jesus will return, and all things will be made right. And that's what we're looking for. Thank you, Bob. (laughs) You should get worked up, right? That's a great thing. So, verses 15 through 29, this is what we read. Matthew 24, starting in verse 15. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would, have, would be saved. But for the sake of the elect... Those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if you say to So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. In verse 15, he says that there is the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel. Now, we saw this as we looked in the very first one, which turned into a really big math lesson, but let's be honest, because we're looking at the 70 weeks and how all that works out and all that. And so the, the long and short of that is, is that Daniel had a vision given to him by an angel, had a prophetic word given to him. In Daniel 9, 27, it says this, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. Now that he is the Antichrist who is to come. He is the one still to be revealed. He is the man of lawlessness or the man of sin. He is the one to come, and he will make a covenant with the many, that's the people of Israel and the nations around there, for one week. And for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. So in the midweek, that prophetic week of the 70 weeks that Daniel talked about, halfway through that covenant of the the seven years, three and a half years, he's going to put an end to the sacrifices. And 
on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So Daniel's told by the angel that the Antichrist is going to come. He will make a covenant. They will, I believe, rebuild the temple. There's already calls today. If you're listening and paying attention to the news and stuff, there's already those in Israel today, religious leaders calling for Israel to move ahead and start moving towards rebuilding the temple on the Temple Mount. They're saying the, the capital is now in Jerusalem. We should go and we should actually take back where the Dome of the Rock is and start rebuilding our temple. We should reinstitute our worship. And so they're already pushing for a temple to be built. How is that going to happen? Well, you're going to need a peace treaty. The only way you're going to have any way of putting a temple there with so many nations and so many people claiming that piece of land is that there's got to be a treaty. And one's going to come and he's going to make a treaty. And I believe they will build their temple and halfway through he will put an end to their sacrifices. There will be the abomination of desolation. So Daniel has told us in Daniel eleven thirty one it says, forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. So they're going to come in. They will destroy and tear down those things that are already there and then bring in their own uh, uh, images and their own things of worship. Daniel 12, 11 says, and from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. So now we have a prophetic week. We have this, this number of days that will still happen. So this is where the tribulation begins. This is where all the judgments are going to start. This is where we look in Revelation when we get there and, and the seals start being broken open and, and all of what God's doing is his wrath is starting to be poured out. So at this moment, this is the midway point. Revelation 13 verses 14 and 15 tell us this. And and by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, this is another who comes and he sets up what is being done here. It says, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived, and it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak. It might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. And so here we see that one will come after the, the man of lawlessness reveals himself and puts himself in the temple and, and, and does this abomination of desolation. One will come and set up an image of this man. One will come and put this, this image there that is given breath, that interacts, that talks. Supernatural or technological, I, it could be yes to both. But we see that this is what will be established there. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So this is what Jesus is talking about. They say, when's the end? What are the signs? What's it going to be like? And he starts to tell them about the end of days, what it will be like before the end of Daniel's 70 weeks is fulfilled, how that will work out, what Israel will be experiencing. And so he's telling them in verse 15, when you see this. So he's telling, it says later here, it says, let the reader understand. He's telling us that, hey, there's a time coming that will be visible. You will see it. It will happen. It's going to make the news. It will be uncovered for all to witness. This will be establishing a world religion here. This will be establishing a coming together under the beast, under him, under this religion. And those who will not worship, doesn't this sound very much like Nebuchadnezzar? Those who will not worship the idol will be slain. 
God has a way of getting our attention, doesn't he, through history? He, he gives us foreshadowing. And he says, hey, what you saw here is this an image of what will happen here. Let the reader be aware. Let us pay attention. Let us be awake. Not woke, awake. <laughs> let, us, let us see what is happening. So these are the signs. He says, have understanding. So he's, he's telling the disciples what this will look like, this moment in history will look like. So there's an importance here to this event. It's eternal. It has global significance, this man of lawlessness. Paul talks uh, this way about Jesus' words as well, uh, and he talks in, in his writings about a falling away that will happen. So we see it echoed, and what's interesting is when Paul talks about these things, I want you to understand and remember that when Paul's talking about end times, he wrote before John got the revelation. So God's word is, is confirming itself. His prophecy is confirming itself. What Paul understood, and he says, hey, this is going to happen. And then John gets the revelation. He says, hey, this is what God showed me. This is what's going to happen. They, they, they're in unison. They match up. So we, we, we're getting a, a bigger picture. And and you may be thinking, well, this is all that future stuff, and why do I care, whatever. Well, in Daniel, after Daniel has all of this shown to him, he's told, seal this all up, Daniel, until later, when there will be understanding. Then, the end is getting near. So, what's happening is, as we're getting closer to the end, God is actually uncovering and giving greater understanding. People have been searching the scriptures and more and more it becomes more clear over the years. Am I going to get it perfectly right? No, I'm going to tell you right now. I don't have it perfectly right. I'm doing my best to, to understand it and search it out and, and make us ready to be looking. But know this, the understanding that is given from God is one of those things that he says, hey, this is going to happen in the church. We're going to have a better clarity as to what the end will look like. Why? Because we are to be ready. We are to be ready and be looking for the return of Christ. Verses 16 through 20, back to our text. It says this, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is in the housetop not go down and take what is his what is in his house, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak, and alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that your flight might not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. So there's great distress in this moment. There's great distress. When he comes and he sets up his abomination in the temple, Jerusalem will be Ups, you know, turned upside down. It'll be topsy-turvy. That's the word I was looking for. It, it'll just be chaos. And he's saying, don't even go back. Like, get out of Dodge. Like, flee and, and, and hide yourselves. Great distress in that day. So Israel will see this happening. And he's saying, when this happens, Israel, get out of town. This, this is not the place for you to be. So Christ is saying that this present moment for them is going to be very perilous. Verses 21 and 22, he says, for then there will be a great tribulation. So this is the mark of the beginning of that tribulation period. And he says, for then there will be a great tribulation such has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. So this begins that great tribulation or what is called Jacob's trouble in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7. This is what it says, Alas, that day is so great there is none like it. It is a time of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be saved out of it. So what I'm pointing to here is this. So there are some who believe that these, the destruction of the temple and all this happened in 70 AD and these things have already been fulfilled. I say that's, a, 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 again, another image, another picture. God's saying, hey, something, look at this in history. This is what's happening. 
This is to get your attention because what's happening here is a foreshadowing of the great tribulation to come. Just as Rome came in and many fled the city when Rome came in and they thought, this is it, and they destroyed the temple and they brought in their standards and they said, oh, this is the desolation, this is the abomination that is to come. That was not it, but it's a picture of what will come, what will happen. And just like the Exodus, Jeremiah says, Israel, Jacob, will be saved out of it. God's going to pour out judgments, but he's going to save his people. Those that are his, he will, he will bring them through this tribulation. Now, I believe that this is pointing to Israel, not the church, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment, but I'm just setting this stage. This is what Jesus is talking about. Israel, this tribulation is for you. This is what's happening with God's chosen people, his elect. This, this is that time where they're calling, they're being called back to him. Right now, I believe as, as, as we think through the, the prophetic period of time, the seasons and, the, and all the feasts, Pentecost has happened, and we're in the summer months, so to speak, this great time period in between waiting for the Feast of Trumpets to come. And that, that is the time, that is the season of the gathering of the Gentiles. This is where we're being saved. This is where we're being brought in. This is where great evangelism is happening over the face of the earth, and many from every tribe, nation, tongue are coming in. And in this moment, this is the season where trumpets and atonement is all taking place, and we'll talk a little bit here. I'll show a chart in a little bit. That's when Israel's being brought in, as Paul talks about in Romans. He says, now they're going to come in. They're being jealous. Right now, the growing jealousy for, for Messiah is, is happening. Verse 21 we, we see that this moment that Jesus talks about will be unlike anything that's ever occurred. And that's another reason that I say it, I think what happened with the temple is just a foreshadowing in 70, because he says nothing like this will ever happen again. And if the days were not cut short, there would be no one left on this earth. Except for the sake of the elect, he cuts the days short. God's mercy and grace, he cuts those judgment days short. We have not experienced anything like that. We have experienced great tribulation, and we will have tribulation. Jesus says that. In this world, you will have tribulation, but I give you my peace. We will experience great tribulations, but nothing like this. This is still to come. And so he says, this is a, <laughs> this is a sign. When, when you start seeing a third of the earth's population wiped out and another third wiped out, and you start seeing another great number gone. When you start seeing what is revealed in Revelation, you'll say, there has been nothing like this ever. And that's what Jesus is pointing to, this great tribulation. So these are foreshadowing events. So it's like the snake in the wilderness where Moses holds up the snake. Christ had to be held up. Like Noah and the flood in the last days, there was those who came in. God seals the door, saves them, brings them through judgment. And those who were caught unaware were were. They perished under the judgment. We think of the, the earthly and heavenly tabernacles, these shadows that we read about, and we see those in, in Hebrews. Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac being the foreshadow of the God giving the sacrifice to us who is Christ. Like God shows us many times in history what he's doing. He wants us to be aware. He doesn't want us to miss it. So here Jesus is talking in this way of, what is to come. So notice the importance of these events. When he says the, this is a critical sign, this abomination of desolation, it's a critical sign for the nearness of his return. It's a precise marker of days. We see that, that there's a hundred, a thousand, two hundred, uh, one thousand. Can you go back to that slide? <laughs> it's like out of my head, 1,290 days or something like that. Um, I should have wrote it there. It's, it's the revelation or the uncovering of the man of sin. It's the image of the beast. All of these are important. These are events that are to come. And Christ says the days are to be so catastrophic that if God does not cut them short, no one would be saved. 
Then we go to verse 23 through 26, and he says, Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in their rooms, do not believe it. So again, Jesus warns that a deception will arise, but for those who are here in this moment, they should be careful not to be deceived. Don't be deceived. Like, these things are going to happen. There's going to be false prophets and false things that come, signs and wonders that are going to be happening that, if possible, would even deceive the elect. In Revelation, that passage we read, it says, the one who brings the image in, in that passage, if you go back and look at it, it says he's also doing signs. He can call fire from heaven, the one who sets up the image. So there's going to be signs and wonders, and there's going to be different things happening. And Jesus says, don't be deceived, though. That's not me. Well, then the question is, how do we know it's you? And then he says this in verse 27. For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Oh, you'll know when I'm coming. (laughs) That's what he's saying. He's like, if you're hearing, oh, he's over here, or they're always in the inner room, or always doing great miracles out here. He says, don't be deceived. That's not me. And they're like, well, how do we know? He's like, oh, it'll be like lightning flashing through the heavens. So we're in that time of year now, the spring, and and like the thunderstorms come in, and I love a good thunderstorm. And honestly, I love it when I'm driving. Because, like, you're driving towards it, and you can see the sky, it gets black, and you're like, whoo, that's a big storm. And then you start seeing the lightning flash through it, and it just catches your attention, right? It's like that. When Jesus comes, it's going to grab the earth's attention. Everyone will see it. They're not going to miss him. Spurgeon says this. He says, his return will be sudden, startling, universally visible, and terrifying to the ungodly. And then Jesus makes this statement. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. That's a weird statement. <laughs> and I'm, I, I, maybe you know this expression and you can explain it to me. Here's, here's what I studied and looked at and saw this expression seems to point to the destruction caused by those preying on the people. Like, the people are where the vultures are, and they're, they're causing great destruction and harm, and they're there. But their judgment, the vultures' judgment, will come swiftly. So he's saying where the corpse is, where those who are perishing are, that's where these These charlatans, these false Christs, these antichrists are. They are are swarming and they're coming and they're devouring man. He says, but their judgment is swift. I'm coming quickly. So we see that in the midst of all of this, Christ is saying, be aware. And he's not telling them to, to, to be afraid. He's just getting them to be aware. Verse 29 through 31, he says this. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the heavens and powers of heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So he says immediately after the tribulation, that time that is fulfilled, the 70 weeks, immediately at the fulfillment of that time, at the proper time, heavens will give a sign of his second coming. And we see that heavens are there for signs. Genesis 1, 14, it says, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. So here, even in Genesis, we see that God says, I've established the heavens to give you some guidance. Psalm 104. 
4, verses 19, 20, and 23, it says, He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows its time for setting. You make darkness, and it is night, when all the beasts of the forest creep about. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. And so it sets our calendar, our internal calendar, day and night. Like This is how we function and how we move. The stars and the sun and the moon, all of this set just our normal life and work. But then we also read in Joel 2, verse 10, The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. That is a sign. Isaiah 34, verse 4, all the hosts of heaven shall rot away, and the skies roll up like a scroll, and their hosts shall fall. All leaves fall from the vine like leaves falling from the fig tree. Here, again, signs in the heavens. So they're there for us to observe. They're there for Israel to observe. And he says, these things will be seen. Verse 31, he says, after these heavenly signs, he says, angels will be sent out to gather the elect or those who are his that remain after the tribulation. So the elect are the chosen people of Israel, but they will be preaching the gospel. 144,000 uh, will go out, 12,000 from each tribe preaching the gospel. They will reach all over this world and those who come and save or those who overcome. And when he sends out his angels, those angels will gather that harvest. They will gather all of those who have believed. Now, I believe the church would have already been raptured by the way I, I look at this. Um, that trumpet, it's the signal for the angels to go and gather, as well as the calling the earth's attention to Christ's coming. I think that this is pointing back to Exodus 19. Verses 18 through 20, we read this. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Some use that as a foreshadowing for the rapture. I think this is really pointing back to when God met them at Mount Sinai. He will come again with the loud trumpet. The angels will gather them together as they were called to gather together. If you go back one slide, Eric, please, to the beginning of that. It says, the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. This trumpet comes from heaven. It doesn't come from Israel. God's blowing the trumpet. The angels are making the trumpet sound. They're the ones calling. They're the ones sending it out. And this is what we see at the end of days, that this, this calling is not them sounding the trumpet. It is God blowing this trumpet. So, let's, so I've mentioned that I think that Israel will be uh, here at this moment, but the church will be raptured. So let's look at the feast really quickly. And I, I'll, I'll try to explain it a little bit if I can't. If it's not clear, let's talk. <laughs> and again, this is my best understanding as we go through this, all right? So we have Passover, where Jesus dies at the cross, Feast of Unleavened Bread. He is put in the tomb uh, before, uh, uh, right at the beginning of that time period. So he dies on Passover, as it is said, on the, on the 15th of Unleavened Bread. He is in the tomb, as he should be. First fruits is the first of the week. That's the Sunday after the Sabbath. So they would bring in the sheaves and, the, and they would wave the grain offering and all that. That's the first fruits, and Christ is the first fruits from the dead, as Paul talks about, just as the feast is fulfilled perfectly in Christ. He walks uh, on the earth for 40 days, teaching and preaching. He says, I have to go, but you wait a little bit longer because what? The Holy Spirit will come. And he comes exactly when Pentecost happens and the church's birth. Now, we have the summer harvest time or the church age. This is the infilling of the Gentiles. We are coming to, to Christ and we are being saved and brought in. And we are called the church. Those who are in Christ from the moment that the church is birthed, those who come by faith or who are saved in Christ, that is the church. And he makes Jew and Gentile one 
in, in Christ in this time. So there's the church age. And I believe that as we get to the fall, then you have the Feast of Trumpets. Now, the Feast of Trumpets, uh, is, is, it's an interesting thing uh, because it can be used, as, as I believe it, for a rapture. It can also be used for the end. They, some believe that feasts, atonement, and tabernacle will mirror Passover, unleavened, and first fruits. Like, they'll be boom, boom, boom. And others believe you'll have the feast, and then you'll have the others. So I believe that the trumpets will happen, and that's where, at the blowing of the trumpet, for that time, that would be the rapture of the church. We would go up. Now, this would be after the man signs a treaty. The rapture is not the sign. The signing of the treaty, the peace treaty, that's the sign of the seven-year period that is still to be fulfilled of Daniel's 70th week. Somewhere in there, after the signing of that treaty, the Feast of Trumpets happens and the church goes up. And then Israel is divided up into their 144,000 and they start to preach the gospel. And at the beginning of the Feast of Trumpets, the church is gone and that begins what is called the Day of Awe. And there's 10 days of awe where Israel would repent and they would come back to the Lord and they would come and see, uh, you know, their sin rightly, and they would mourn over it, and they would look for forgiveness, and they're making themselves right. Why? Because on the day of atonement, they have to be ready. That's what Jesus is talking about. Be ready for my coming. When that moment happens, Christ will come. That's the second coming. That's the day or feast of atonement. And then after that tabernacle where he is with us for the millennial reign. So, this slide, hopefully it helps you uh, a little bit kind of see how these work together. But this is what I think Jesus is pointing to and talking about. So we're, we're trying to understand all of this uh, in Matthew uh, as he talks through it. And this is how I think it, it, it looks. Verse 32 to 35, he says, from the, from the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gate. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So Jesus, as, as we see that the spring, or just as we see that the spring is here, and we can understand everything. I mean, you're probably out there this weekend cleaning up old leaves and putting down mulch and doing all that. And probably half of you, like myself, have like this head junk going on because you've been out in the yard working, right? It's like, this is the sign. Like, you see the signs. Got to get out there. Got to do it. And, and so you're doing all of this because we understand the signs. He says, you will understand the signs at the end. You will see these things. And so Jesus says, Israel will see these signs, the abomination of desolation, the great tribulation, the signs in the heavens. And he says, and then know that the end of all of this is near. The return of Messiah is imminent. And then he makes this statement, this generation will not pass away. And you're like, uh-oh, Pastor Ron, what do you know that? He's talking to the disciples and he says, this generation will not pass away. Well, I think we put it in context of what he's talking about. He's talking about this moment of history, and he's talking about everything that is to occur. And I believe what Jesus is really saying here is the generation that is observing these things, that is in this moment of tribulation, that generation will not pass away. They will, when it begins, they're going to see it. They will see all of it fulfilled. This generation will not pass away. So it's not going to be that this generation starts with the Feast of Trumpets and they don't get to see atonement. No, they're going to get to fulfill all of it. He says, when this moment happens, this generation is going to walk through all of it. They will not pass away. They will have it fulfilled in their lifetime. Verses 36 through 39, he says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man." For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be coming of the Son of Man. So no one knows the moment of the return. And we don't know the moment of the, of the trumpet, of the Feast of Trumpets. 
but it's, it's set on God's calendar. Only God knows this exact timing, but Israel is to be ready, and we, the church, are to be ready. So we look for Christ to fulfill these things, to call us to Himself in a moment when we are waiting for the summer harvest to be done and the fall feasts to begin on God's calendar. We're waiting for that moment, but we're watching. So like the Day of Atonement, Jesus reminds them that it's just like the days of Noah. The judgment comes with His second coming. And those not watching will be caught unaware and not ready. He says, even in this time, even in the tribulation period, what? They're going to be eating and drinking and having marriages and saying, well, the world is just, it is what it is, and we're going through it and that, but we're going to keep plowing away. You would think with all of this stuff happening, they would be like, whoa. But no, he says, it will be just like the days of Noah. Noah proclaimed to them, hey, there's a judgment coming. God wants you to be ready. And they did not listen. They did not heed it. And he said, it will be just like that. They will be going about living life and, and, and filling up their judgment. And when he comes, they will be caught unaware. But Israel is to be ready. The church, we are to be ready. The trumpet leads to the day of all, like I said, for Israel, those, those days where they will be brought back in and reconciled, looking for his atonement. We, right now, are to be proclaiming the gospel and preaching the gospel to those who will be saved, looking for that day when the trumpet will sound and we will be taken up for the Feast of Trumpets. Those who are left at the Feast of Trumpets will be entering into that tribulation time. The church should have a great testimony moving into that time. A great witness saying, I told you, I told you. Um, uh, the gentleman, how much time I got? Okay. The gentleman who wrote uh, The Harbinger. Uh, what is his name? Han. Um, I think that's the right book. He was talking about uh, the end of, of days coming and different things. And in an interview, if I'm remembering it correctly, this is off the cuff, by the way, um, so I could be wrong. But uh, in the interview, if I remember him correctly, he was talking about uh, just different things. And one of the things he talked about uh, was he was reading uh, The Late Great Planet Earth. And it was really interesting because he was very interested. And there's, there's a, uh, this conversation I've had with a, another person as well um, about aliens and different things. And it was interesting because this is now like the second or third time I've heard it from different people. But he brought it up. He said, well, what's going to happen when a rapture happens? He's like, well, of course, aliens. <laughs> well, think about it. We just... You know, 2020 wasn't weird enough, right? We had COVID, and all of a sudden, aliens too. And everybody was like, yeah, but do they carry COVID? You're like, you're like can we get it from them? You know, that was the thing. Like, I mean, it wasn't like a big stretch all of a sudden. Well, what's going to happen in the end days? I don't know. But as, as weird as the world seems, it's not that weird after all. <laughs> Something will happen and the people will be deceived and they're going to say, ah, whatever happened. We're just moving on. The church is to be saying, though, there was a Savior who was calling you. There was one who would reconcile you, who would save you, who would, who would forgive your sins. And if we're gone, that's because he's called us home, which means you need to turn and receive him because the day is ahead of you are going to be a great tribulation like nothing has ever happened before or will ever happen again. And if you make it through that, he's returning, and you better be ready. We have a place in all of this. The point is, is that we are not to be worried about the world around us right now. We're not to be distracted with all those things that are happening in this world. 
we are looking forward to the return of Jesus. And no matter what you believe about what must be fulfilled, maybe you have a different view of Scripture than what I just gave you this morning, no matter what you believe about what must be fulfilled before His return, we should be living as if it will all be accomplished in our time. In our life, it will be done. That's how we should be living. That's how the early church lived. They said, we're living as if Jesus comes tomorrow. And so that's how we are to live. And John 14, verses 2 and 3 says this, For my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you that I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you will be also. So we are to heed the words of Isaiah 50, verse 7. But the Lord God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. We are to set our face like flint. Set your face towards Christ. Live for him. Serve him. Love him. Preach this gospel. This points to the Messiah who set his face like flint at the cross for our redemption. So we, his people, set our face like flint to go and serve and to proclaim the salvation. Will you stand with me and I'll pray and we'll close out with some worship. Father, we thank you for this passage. <laughs> Not easy, <laughs> but Holy Spirit, you are working and you are moving and people are still coming and being saved. And so we ask that you would help us to not worry or, or be concerned about the days ahead, but to set our face, your people, to set our face like flint and that we would go and proclaim the good news that Christ saves. Father, we pray that the church would be a great witness Use your bride in powerful ways. Use us in powerful ways in this community. May many, many, many come to know Jesus before the end comes. We look forward to that day, Lord, when you call us or you return. So we proclaim, just like John, come, Lord Jesus, come. And Lord, we, we just want to walk faithfully in that season. So may we do so. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. The Bridge Bible Church stands to exalt the name of Jesus. We seek to be a community that gives glory to Christ above all things and welcomes all people to join us in worshiping Him. If you don't have a church home, consider visiting ours. We are ordinary people who want to live life with authentic faith. For more information on how to get connected, deepen your faith, and experience what God has for you, please visit our website at thebridgewire.com.